welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Health Kitchen Podcast. And we're all still probably staying at home, unless some of us are essential workers and going to work, or maybe your restaurant has opened up and started to do some takeout, and uh, now you're starting to leave the house again, but there's still a lot of us that are uh, hanging out at home. And that means a lot of us have maybe had to um, have conversations with people in ways that maybe we haven't before. And we're also looking at ourselves and seeing maybe how we're doing and noticing how we feel in a way that maybe we haven't had time to check in with ourselves before. And that's really exciting work that a lot of us are doing. And I am excited to see what kind of things come out of that because the restaurant industry is in a state of change these days, I think. And I think there's a lot of positive things happening. And I think it's due to this sort of small pause that we have happening right now. Now, obviously, I say that with a lot of privilege, because there's a lot of people who aren't working right now. There's a lot of businesses that are closing, and that's not great. But I think there's also a chance for us to envision what we want to see moving forward. And I think the guests today really help shape that for us. And today is all about mental health and uh, an advocacy group that uh, focuses all around that. So let's get to meeting today's guests. Today's guest goes by the name of Ariel and Hassel from the organization Not9to5. And Not9to5 is a not-for-profit organization focusing on mental health solutions for food service employees and businesses. And I heard about them a couple months ago and we were supposed to book a in-person interview, but then the lockdown happened. So we finally got around to doing this interview today through Zoom and they talked talk about how we can have discussions about mental health, the differences between mental health and mental illness, how these sorts of changes are affecting the restaurant industry, and uh, a really great message of hope, I think, for what the restaurant industry is able to do and what they have been able to do for hundreds of years. Um, so I think this is a very special interview and I absolutely can't wait for you to hear it. Before we get into that though, I do wanna let you know that Not9to5 has a bunch of amazing webinars next week um, that you should definitely go check out. So I'm gonna have them in my show notes and a link to their website. And uh, also go check out their social media at Not9to5 underscore on Instagram. They have amazing resources there and uh, they're definitely worth a follow. So without further ado, let's go listen in. Awesome. Good to go. Awesome. So I am sitting here with Hassel and Ariel from Not 9 to 5, uh, which is a mental health advocacy group for uh, food service workers all across Canada. But I thought I would just leave the floor to you two to introduce yourselves, tell us a little about ourselves, and then we'll uh, get into it from there. Great. Um, I'm Ariel Copeland, and uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Not 9 to 5. Um, so as Aaron mentioned, uh, we are a Canadian not-for-profit aimed at uh, shattering stigma and taboo in uh, mental health um, in the food and beverage sector. Um, and yeah, we've been 
quite busy with with it, especially with uh, with COVID. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our pri- our priority right now is really to get as loud and proud as possible um, because it's really there's never been a more important time to have this conversation. Um, so I guess it worked out, you know, Aaron, that originally our in-person meeting got canceled, you know, and now even though this is through Zoom, I still think that it's more relevant than ever. So thank you for having us here. Um, so I'm Hisela Villas. I am also the other co-founder of Not 9 to 5. I grew up in restaurants, hospitality, um, you know, was my world for, well, has been really for over two decades. And I was 17 years old, had no idea what I was signing up for. But I, you know, <laughs> over the years, I have learned a lot and I still love it and I'm still here. And I think that we have an incredible industry. Yes. Yes, I, I love that. I you know, I feel like a lot of us got that same start. I, I think that is a very common uh, story to hear is, you know, we started when we were 17, 18, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older. Uh, I started as a dishwasher. It was what I got. And I just kind of, you know, stuck around for 15 years in the industry um, doing various things. And I think a lot of people kind of have that that story behind it. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit what inspired you to create nine, not nine to five, and uh, how did you get started, and uh, how to grow from there? So as uh, as we were just saying, I mean, I started uh, when I was seventeen, and my whole in, or my whole career, I was very focused on uh, opening a restaurant. Uh, I worked fine dining most of my career, and I worked around the world. So. Um, I opened a restaurant about seven years ago now uh, called Thoroughbred Food and Drink. Uh, After owning the restaurant for around two years, I realized how miserable um, I was. And, you know, my work-life balance was so far skewed. And, you know, I had nothing going on outside of work. And, you know, my hobbies were all focused around food. Because it is a fashion, uh, a passion-inspired industry, um, you know, I found that when I would go home, I'd be doing more work. And so there was very little separation. Um, I missed all sorts of events and, you know, lost touch with all sorts of friends because of the industry. And, um, you know, when it was my stressful place, it was also my sanctuary. And I think the problem with that is that there really was no rest. And, and so within the industry uh, at that point, when I was having this kind of crisis, I uh, started really looking um, at all of the systemic issues that we have within our industry. Um, And a lot of the principles that we follow are so archaic in nature. You know, the idea that you need to work, you know, 90 hours a week and, uh, you know, leave your emotions at the door. And so I started um, reshaping my restaurants a little bit and um, trying to encourage the staff that were working there to adapt so that they didn't fall into the same thing that I did. It's, you know, work hard your whole career just to succeed and work even harder. That was kind of where I got to. Um, And around this time where I was having this kind of, you know, reevaluation, one of my staff members attempted suicide, um, which was really a crazy moment. You know, I always say like, you know, as a human, it's, you know how to feel, but then as, as an employer, I, I really didn't. And I didn't know what to do. And, you know, it was really hard to figure out um, my way around that. Um, and so, you know, on the large scale and kind of like in a, on a high level, we, we decided very much to, to put together a panel, uh, Hazel and I, uh, around, um, you know, calling in industry vets to talk about mental health and coping. And, um, you know, we had songs. We had uh, bartenders, we had bar owners, um, you know, events. Like, we tried to keep it so it's fairly diverse and just an honest conversation with everyone. And um, after um, after this panel, it was uh, pretty clear. It was such a, a powerful panel. It was pretty clear that we needed to continue the conversation. Um, so Hazel was like, I don't know what your plans are, but, you know, we need to keep this going. Um, and so that's, that was kind of the birth of not nine to five. Wow. Exciting. That's, uh, that's. Yeah. And like, I mean, I will add a little bit to that just in that, you know, when it started, it was very much like, 
an initiative, like a campaign, you know, we had some social media accounts, but we didn't, um, we weren't where we are today, you know, two years later as an incorporated nonprofit organization. Um, so I would say that it, it's come a long way and it's still in its infancy. So, you know, ask us again in two years, <laughs> it'll be a different answer, you know, probably with a lot more experience behind it. Um, I will say though, when we started and I went to that panel and I did say that to Ariel, I was like, I don't know what you're planning, but I need to keep having these conversations and keep doing this work. Um, it was already at, it was already like at the end of almost, you know, 20 years of living with my own mental health challenges and having to repress and suppress it. Um, so only telling close friends, only telling close family, but that was one of the first times I really was like, you know what? I don't know anybody in this room really other than like maybe three people, but fuck it. I'm going to, oh, sorry. I realized a swear. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's a restaurant um, podcast. Of course you can swear. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I figured, but I was like, it's not my podcast. So I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I just kind of felt like I just don't care. It's better for me to be honest and transparent about how I feel than to continue to live, you know, suffering in silence, filled with stigma and shame. Um, and especially it was such a good call because especially in that room, it kind of like vulnerability is contagious. So once you kind of open that door and you're like, hi, I live with depression and anxiety, have for, you know, 20 years or so, people are like, oh, yeah, I live with blah, 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 you know, and it's just kind of, it's amazing how that works. Yeah, that's sort of, I, I probably the wrong word, but the magic of it or the having the conversation um, opens up to allow people to um, to talk about it and to start seeing that they're not suffering on their own, right? And I think that's a, a really big thing. And I think in the restaurant industry, as we've both said, all three of us in different ways, that there's a lot of stigma around um, these sorts of conversations because you have to be together and strong and uh, tough in a lot of ways um, and never opening up. And, you know, it's it's just well, exciting. Sorry, can I cut you? Can I yes. cut in one second? We don't have to be. We're told we have to be. Yes. Um, you know, I just want to like, there is a distinction there because we don't actually have to be that way. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that Arlen and I think have noticed is that after working in this industry, we were told a lot of things that actually are not helpful. Yeah, that's very true. Um, yeah, th thank you for that. I, I think that's, that's the thing, right? Is that a lot of people are told how we work. We're told how we're supposed to manage our days. We're told how we're supposed to manage, um, uh, you know, our stress and all these sorts of things. And maybe that doesn't work for everyone or only works for a very small group of people. Um, so that's, and that's why it's so important to have the conversation to, um, see that. And then to also, you know, if you have the conversation, then you're going to start, uh, having, uh, solutions, but we talk about mental health and then we also have uh, mental illness. And I thought maybe we could uh, talk a little bit about the differences between the two. And when it comes to talking about mental health, um, where that difference is, because I think a lot of people get scared as soon as you say, we're going to talk about mental health because they start thinking mental illness or whatever it could be and how to have those conversations. Yeah, of course. So Arlen and I had written this down actually for our webinar earlier this week. So I'm just going to read it out. Yes. So definition for mental health, according to the gospel of not nine to five, <laughs> um, a person's condition with regard to their psychological and emotional well-being. Mental health is an integral part of health. There is no health without it. And everyone has mental health. So to distinct that, to the distinction between mental health and mental illness, mental illness is what your doctor would diagnose you with. It is a diagnostic element of your mental health. So just like we all have physical health, and sometimes you can be struggling with your physical health, and, you know, have a, an illness or a disease or a broken leg or something that may be impacting your physical health, um, you all still have physical health, whether it's going well or not. So it's the same thing for mental health. I mean, our brains are in our bodies. So it's not like, you know, they're disconnected somewhere else. 
if we're having issues with our mental health or challenges with our mental health, then that means that we're struggling with it. But even if someone isn't struggling with it and they're doing really great and they feel completely psychologically and emotionally balanced, they still have mental health. They just have good, positive, you know, mental health and they're not struggling with it at that moment. Um, but I think it's really important to reiterate that we all have it. You know, it's unfortunately we're coming into a new era where mainstream speaks about mental health a little bit more in the same vein as physical health, but it's really just the beginning. I mean, you know, at school, you're not necessarily always taught that. Now they're starting to, like I have two young kids, so I see the school system starting to address mental health and they've taught them breathing exercises and they've talked to them about anxiety and they've talked to them about, you know, all these different mindfulness approaches to life. And I think that that's incredible. Um, but it is really a new conversation. Um, and I think, I, I love your question. Thank you for asking it. Thank I don't you. know if you want to add to that, Ariel. Yeah. I would just say like, um, just to put in, in layman's terms, like, you know, a sprained ankle versus like asthma, you know, like one is a condition that you have your whole life, like asthma. It's something that might flare up at a certain point worse than another time. Uh, and then a sprained ankle is something that comes from, uh, you know, the way either you're maintaining or, you know, a speed bump along the way. And I think to me, that's a good distinguishing between, you know, mental health and mental illness. Yeah, I like the I I really like those definitions, and I work in the health field. I'm a I'm a wellness consultant in the corporate world, and uh, it is interesting when it comes to uh, the comparison of physical health and mental health, and how yes, our brain is inside our body; it is just as much a part of our health. And it's interesting the conversations that you have because a lot of people think, okay, I can get healthier when it comes to physical health. I can eat healthier, exercise more, do all these things. Um, you know, but they don't think of it as something that can be maintained on the mental health side as well, right? Like that conversation, it's starting to happen, as you've said, like, you know, how we talk about these things, but it, it is something that I think, um, people think always first of the physical health, right? They think about that, but they don't always have the idea of the, uh, mental health there, um, as well. So just an observation I've kind of had when people come to me and ask questions yeah. and, uh, and uh go from there but to go with yeah that, i would agree i would agree with you though that like people definitely have a it's, it's hard the back and forth um and i think that that is slowly starting to shift now that we're starting to learn also how interconnected both are and so whatever you know you do to your physical actually impacts your mental health and whatever things you can do for your mental health also impacts your physical health like they're just very interconnected and each have a component of the other when it comes to symptoms as well. So with your mental health, you can have physical symptoms, you know, and with your physical health, you can have mental health symptoms. Like it's just so interesting how the more we understand how interconnected they are, I think the bigger understanding we have of the whole picture. Yeah. And that's not surprising at all. Like when I, and it's, it's something that I think even as health professionals, we have to remember on my end, like as a kinesiologist and that I work in human movement and performance, but you know, in school, we learn the connections between the nervous system and, um, our physical body, you know, on a physiological level, like we talk about, you know, um, neuromuscular physiology and how your nerves react in a certain way and your muscles do the same. But then, you know, it, it shouldn't be surprising because we also had to learn somatic pain, um, um, where when something's happening in your body, it gets inferred somewhere else um, through the nervous system. It shouldn't be a surprising discussion, but it is something that we're kind of re becoming reminded of as uh, as health professionals. So you're just uh, you're getting me thinking of all the things that I learned in school and getting these connections <laughs> together. So sorry, I kind of nerd out when I uh, when we start having these sorts of conversations and. Um, I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's it's something I like to do, but. Um, we talked a little bit before about um, talking, right, and conversation and the power of that. But I think a lot of people get a little scared when they get into the idea of having a conversation about this. So is there sort of a roadmap to follow or a way to do it in a way that makes it a little bit easier to have these conversations? I think, uh, you know, there's a few things. One of the things is that, um, you know, like we were talking about stigma before, 
Um, and I think stigma is why people suffer in silence. And so I think education is one of the things that can help combat that. So I think the first start to being able to talk about it is, is education and educating yourself. Um, you know, I think there's no shame ever in not knowing something. And so just like, you know, if you're researching a recipe or, you know, anything else, you know, you don't know a cocktail and you have to look it up. It's, there's no harm in, in actually looking things up that you're not sure of. Um, and so I think, I think that's a really great starting point. I think the other aspect is in the conversations, you know, judgment is, is, uh, something that I think people, you know, at times don't understand how powerful it is. And I think, you know, trying to get out of that headspace and not be judgmental at all in these conversations is extremely important. Uh, it's everyone has their own journey and I think to be able to have a conversation without judgment is really really uh, important um, we recently did uh, mental health first aid which was uh, a wonderful course it was really I, I would really highly recommend it if someone does want to start kind of learning about things it's really insightful because mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you want to add anything else to that yeah, um, I mean, everything Arl said, yes, absolutely, 100%. Um, I have a little, yeah, so I obviously, during the mental health first aid, I took a ton of notes. I learned so much. Some of it I knew already. Some of it was totally new to me. Um, I loved it so much. I would say, number one, um, yeah, really, if, you, if you're nervous and you know you have to have a conversation, you know you're going to be approaching someone to have a conversation, um, I would say it's really important, like Ariel said, to educate yourself a little bit more. Google active listening. Um, you know, it's a skill that you can develop. It's a skill that you can build. You don't need to be a crisis counselor, mental health professional um, to learn about active listening. I think it's something that, I mean, if we all had active listening skills, I think the world would be a better place <laughs> uh, overall, just in general, even outside of mental health conversations. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would say look into active listening. There is a difference between that and just like regular listening because you can actually hear things and hear people talking and not really be listening to them, you know, and it, it actually is a, is a physical thing too. So like your body should be turned towards them. Your eyes should be on them. You try not to like, you know, I'm sometimes very antsy. Try not to do that. You know, don't play with your hair. Don't play with your nails. Like really be physically present in the moment and, um, they say that head nodding is actually quite helpful because you're letting that person know without interrupting them. You're letting them know that like I'm following you and I'm, and I'm, you know, physically showing me like a positive, you know, support, um, in that moment. So I would say that that's a huge one. Um, the non-judgment thing is crucial. So what Ariel said is extremely important. I can't underemphasize how important that is. Um, we all have judgments and that's, that's a normal, natural thing that can happen in our minds based on so many different, you know, so impacts on society and our childhood and whatever, but you don't have to say them, you know, <laughs> like you're human, you'll think them, that's okay, it doesn't make you a bad person, just keep that, you know, to yourself or, or, or go say it to your friend later, you know, later in the day or something, but if someone's coming to talk to you or you're going to talk to someone and it's difficult conversation as it is, you, judgment really has no place in that room um, or in that conversation. And so even so that will happen also, like you will hear things that you may not necessarily agree with. And that's again, with the judgment thing, totally cool. Keep it to yourself. That person does not need to know that you don't agree with their five day, you know, recovery, spiritual retreat that they're going to go on to make themselves feel good. Like maybe you're not a spiritual person and you're like, Oh, why would you do that? No, no, no. Like keep that to yourself. <laughs> you know, just, you don't have to agree with what they're doing. It's just about listening and, um, and empathize. And the last two things I'll say is, um, before offering resources, ask the person if they want resources. You know, don't just throw a brochure in their face and just assume that that's something that they, you know, are going to want from you. So they like, do you want me to connect you to resources? Do you want me to help you find some, you know, or look for some? Like, is that something you're interested in? Instead of just assuming, you know, oh, like, you're going to want all these social you know, media or uh, accounts or all these website links that I'm going to throw at you. Like, maybe they don't. 
Um, oftentimes people just want to be heard. Um, so yeah, those would be the last, the last thing I would add. I really like that last, I liked everything you said, but I really love that last little bit there about the, uh, finding out what the person needs, right? So maybe they don't need resources, um, and like allowing them to be empowered and active in the conversation and being able to, um, not only open up and have the conversation with you, but also, um, take advocacy of what they think they need to be able to move forward. And I think that's a really I think it's thing. so important. Yeah, I think it's so important. Like we put this thing on Instagram a while ago about uh, how can I help someone? And the last point I didn't mention it just now, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> the last point is empower, and it says ask them what they feel would help and encourage them to action. Because I agree with you completely, Erin. Like at the end of the day, the more you can empower someone, um, you know, the better I think that you're you're leaving them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, uh, exactly. It's, it's just that connecting it all together and leaving them in a good place. Um, I think, um, you know, I work obviously in the corporate setting, but like when I do one-on-one consultations, I try to be aware of that, um, of what is possible for the client and also make them able to create solutions for them. So let's say somebody wants to exercise for the first time. It's not just telling them, giving them a workout plan at the gym. It's saying, Hey, what do you feel is going to work for you and how does this fit into the whole of your life, right? So are you, uh, you know, are you just starting out for the first time? You've never done any exercise before? Let's start really small, right? Something that you can have success with, but allowing the, the client to really feel empowered in that way um, and feel like they're taking control of whatever their path would be. So, you know, something that I try to do as best I can, you know. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's so important. Yeah, it's 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 a process, but I, I do enjoy it, and uh, I think people also enjoy that and feel um, feel like something can come out of things, right? Which is always um, really important, and yeah, it kind of goes all together. But before I get into sort of what's happening right now with uh, COVID nineteen and everything, before we get into that conversation, um, which is the hot button thing all the time these days. Uh, do you think the restaurant industry is starting to change a little bit than maybe it was, I always say 10 years ago, but I think that's a really long time in the restaurant industry. But do you think these, you know, with the conversations and how people are starting to talk about their work day and a work-life balance and all these sort of things are starting to come up, do you think there's change coming or changes happening right now in the industry? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely starting to happen, um, and it's it's pretty amazing to see those different corners uh, of the industry. Kind of things are starting to happen, and um, but unfortunately, I think there's still so far to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, I think to put it into like I guess a farming analogy, like all we've done is plant seeds. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, you know what I mean? So we haven't seen anything sprout yet. There's been no harvest. (laughs) Um, You know, we're not maintaining a full garden here. We have merely just planted seeds. Um, And I think that that's important. That's the first, one of the first steps. I mean, first we had to like lay the land before planting the seeds. So I think that there is a lot of work that we've done. I'm not underestimating how far we've come. Um, I'm not underestimating either the like generational change. So from when I was in restaurants to now when I hear what's happening in restaurants, absolutely you're right. Like there definitely has been a shift and I'm not saying that that shift isn't there, but I, I do agree completely with what Ariel said, which is the bulk of the work, the bulk of the change is yet to come. I think that's such a good point. Like I think, you know, you're talking about the generational shift and, you know, uh, starting in the industry when we did, you know, there's things now that would never fly. And so there has been some progression, but I mean, you know, I'll, I'll never forget being a young cook, you know, 17, 18 years old and seeing uh, my chef throw like plates at people and, you know, pans at people and, you know, yelling an inch behind their head. And, you know, it's like that would never be a thing today, which is great. But even for, you know, then, did that even make sense, right? So, you know, it's kind of like we've come further for sure, but we were so far behind that now we're still far behind, but not quite as far behind. 
Yeah, last week. Exactly. Um, yeah, last week. On the <laughs> like, because honestly, there's still things happening. Yeah. Last week on the podcast, I had on a chef, Aaron Carley, and he kind of mentioned about the, you know, how the restaurant has changed. And he said, like, some of the language and some of the behaviors that you used to see back in the day. And I love what he said, because he said, um, I don't know how it got in there, because it should have never been there. Um, you know, it shouldn't, like, it shouldn't have functioned in that way. And I'm happy that we're getting away from it. But um, it's just an interesting kind of change um, in that sense, right? That... Uh, we've kind of seen and I, I really enjoy that little line he said I was like oh that's a perfect way of putting it you know um, so. yeah you know we always talk about the labor shortage in our industry but I think the part of that that people don't talk about is the fact like why would you know a young person want to get into an industry that's verbally abusive mentally abusive financially abusive and you know you'll have no life outside of like it, there's no motivation to want to do that so you know, these changes are starting to happen, but there's a real culture shift. I don't think the culture shift is bad. And it's funny, oftentimes you'll hear like kind of like disgruntled owners or whatever, oh, millennials don't work hard. And it's like, well, maybe that's not really the issue. Maybe that's not really the thought process here. And I, I think the real point is, is that, you know, this shift has been needed for so long. And so now this generation's coming in being like, why is this so messed up? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the there is a direct line, you know, between workplace mental health, investing in a positive work culture, and employee retention and labor shortages. I mean, there, this isn't something, you know, like, oh, why is it happening? I mean, they're, they're connected. So if one's not happening, of course, the other one's really going to be happening. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a revolving door of people. Um, so, and then you find the opposite. So there's so much research around, you know, the ROI of investing in workplace mental health. There's been global studies, there's been local Canadian studies um, that show there's a direct relationship between those two things. And the opposite happens when you do invest in your people and you do have a positive work culture and you are treating people with, you know, respect and you are creating a space that provides psychological safety People leave, don't leave. People stay. People are there for many, many years, and you actually have the opposite of a revolving door. You know, so um, I think that's something that our industry is late to the take in understanding. I mean, and I think, you know, just to add on to that, we always talk about how, you know, business plans haven't included, you know, finances for that element for the idea of investing in people and it is a an industry with you know very slim margins but that doesn't negate the fact that if we invest in it the return is there yeah yeah that's it's yeah so many businesses um outside the restaurant industry usually have an accounted budget for this um employee development wellness whatever it could be um you know and i'm seeing these conversations start to happen in restaurants but yeah building that that side of the business right and uh one of my um a company that i always mention is a neighborhood group because i worked for them for three years and they uh changed to have living wage for all of their employees um in guelph and kitchener area and it was just so awesome because like every time i go into the restaurant i used to work at it's the same crew like it hasn't changed <laughs> um, on the whole like every time i go in it's the same crew that i always see i know everyone um, you know, they, and on top of that, they didn't have the, uh, resume shortage even because now they're the restaurant to work for in town, uh, or the company to work for because of these things. And now, you know, they always have a stack of resumes. So when they do rarely have to replace a person, um, you know, they can really get the best of the best. And I think seeing that holistically, a lot of businesses aren't always quite there. They don't see that connection, right? That, you know, yeah, you're going to retain staff better, but you're going to have such a good reputation, you're going to be able to hire the best people on top of that. Um, and that's sort of, you know, it, it just, it's so powerful for a business and, you know, saves so much in costs and also, you know, increases revenues and all these sorts of things as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. Like, I also think we need to, in 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 the defense of the industry, you all, there is reasons why we're here. Like, there's so much historical context that we're not alluding to as to how we got here. 
you know, and I think when you start to understand that too, it starts to make sense. Oh, okay. Like it's not just that owners don't give a shit. Like that's not at all the truth. And, um, there's so many are like RLC already, but like there's so many archaic principles that still are, that still exist. Um, and that still need to be tweaked and kind of, um, upgraded, you know, it's almost like we are running on an old computer system, but we need that software upgrade. Um, and it hasn't quite come yet and it's slowly starting to like, it's almost like we're getting it in like little tidbits instead of like the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the impact of the brigade system on our industry is something that I think goes undiscussed a lot. And the impact that that has, not just on back of house, but also front of house, like it seeps out into like every corner of the industry and the mindset that comes with that. So it, it, I think I would encourage anyone listening if they want to learn more, like Google these things, you know, Google the history of the, the brigade de cuisine that came from, you know, Europe. And, and then also like look into where else the brigade system is used. It's used in the military. Um, and there's very similar psychological, um, you know, traits and stories that have come from people that work in the military as the people that work in our industry. Again, I'm not saying that we go to war. It obviously, it's a completely different environment at times. But because of a lot of the abusive power and a lot of things that come with that system, a lot of the stories are quite similar. Mm, I like that a lot. Um, and uh, to review back to another episode of my podcast, I had somebody who used to be in the military who then became a chef. And he had a lot of comparisons um, directly to that. Um, and he brought the brigade thing, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. And I'm definitely going to go and read a little bit more into that now. So Yeah, because I think like, you know, once we understand that too, you're like, okay like because it's not like this came from nowhere and i think sometimes it's really important to understand the problem before you start attempting to find solutions yes definitely um so obviously COVID 19 <laughs> the big thing uh not that's the most awful segue i've ever done but <laughs> um but uh the but COVID 19's kind of come upon us and a lot of restaurants are on hiatus, uh, you know, because they're not open right now, or maybe they're only doing takeout, and a lot of people are at home, uh, you know, not working right now, um, for better or for worse, um, for all that. Um, But one of the things that I think have come out of this is that it's allowed a lot of people just to pause for a second, um, in a way that I don't think we've ever had in our lifetimes. And... I think that can be a really good thing for people to see where they want things to go from here. And I think I've seen a lot of conversations with um, colleagues of mine and, you know, other people within the industry and in all industries across the world, you know, this moment of pause to kind of see what's important and where do we want to build from there. And have you been seeing those sorts of things as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's actually been... um, really nice the connection element out of this it's kind of a funny thing to say but you're absolutely right in saying that there's so many people trying to reimagine and reinvent and you're right like it's super rare that we're given an opportunity to actually pause and and reflect on what's happening and i think you know this is the opportunity to do that yeah yeah uh i heard a thing once that i'm i'm totally obsessed with now which is i in every crisis, there is danger and opportunity. And I really, truly believe that. And I feel that now, you know, in this pandemic, there is so much danger and we're still seeing it. There's still people ill and dying. Um, but there's also these moments of opportunity. And I think in this industry, we have the opportunity to reflect. We have the opportunity to now reimagine. And ideally, we have the opportunity to come to the table when doors open and say, I don't think that was working at the best, you know, at its peak performance. Like maybe we can re-examine and reevaluate that process, that system, that rule, that, you know, structure, like whatever it is that, you know, you're, you feel like is, is not working. And I've heard tons of conversations about this um, on social media. Um, we talked about it on our first webinar earlier this week. And, you know, someone kind of brought that up that, 
there's also, so I guess to the other point, there's also this fear brewing of the opposite is that it's not going to change, is that it's going to stay the same, is that I'm so desperate to get back to work that I'll take anything in terms of work and jobs, um, you know, because what else are my, like, there's not that many choices and you're so lucky to be even offered, you know, this job and like that kind of mindset, which I can totally relate to. Um, when I was younger, I remember feeling like I would get fired if I said anything out of line or if I did anything out of line, you know, it's like, you're fired. There's the door. Look at my pile of resumes. Like you can be replaced like that whole bullshit thing. Um, so for a second, I thought about her question and like, would that happen? Could that happen? I mean, could it happen? Of course, anything can happen. But I think that there's more of us, like what I'm hearing more of is what you're saying, Erin, is like the rethinking and the positive, you know, ideas that can possibly come from reimagining, you know, actually we're hosting a webinar on Monday, May 11th. Um, we are recording them, so you'll be able to tune in if you don't, if you're not able to get that day. Um, and the title of the webinar is Reimagine the Hospitality Industry. Oh, I'm going to be there for that one. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited. Um, okay, well, that this is a good segue. So how can people find you? Uh, how can people engage with you? And what things are upcoming in the uh, near future for Not 9 to 5 that uh, I'd love to send out on my socials as well? Okay, sure. Um, so easiest way to find us, I would say, is our website, number 9 to number five.org. Um, you can just Google not nine to five. It's not your everyday name. Um, so we're a nonprofit organization. Uh, on our Instagram, it's at not nine to five underscore. Facebook.com forward slash not nine to five. Um, we always write it as the number nine and the number five, just for anyone listening. Um, I think that, yeah, I would like to mention our webinars. So we're hosting weekly Monday afternoon webinars. Um, every Monday for the rest of the month. So in Canada, this was Mental Health Week. Um, in the U.S., it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So for all of May, we have um, weekly webinars. But I will also share, this is not a formal announcement, but Ariel and I are kind of like brewing and considering the idea of continuing the Monday afternoon webinar um, past May. So there's a good chance that we'll be hosting more webinars um, weekly. Yeah, because the topics just keep coming and people just keep giving us these great ideas like, have you considered this webinar? And we're like, oh, that's a real good one. <laughs> I can't consider not doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so many people in our industry that I feel so grateful to that are willing to talk about really interesting things and get real. and. The title of our webinar is um, Real Talk. You know, we call it hashtag not nine to five real talk. And the whole point is to be as transparent as possible and re have real talk about all of these conversations that are quite difficult to navigate at times. You know, talking about your mental health and, addic or, and or addiction or substance use or whatever word, you know, you want to use for these things are some of the hardest conversations to have. Um, sometimes, but I think that that's only because of the stigma. Like my goal is that in the future, like this is like a dream of mine in like 20 years from now or like way past my generation, that it's not a hard conversation to have, you know, that, that I'm not any, I don't feel any different telling you about my haircut than I do telling you about my anxiety or my depression or my PTSD or my, you know what I mean? Like, I hope that we eventually get to that, but until then, we're hosting weekly webinars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it, it's amazing the work that both of you are doing and uh, changing the conversation and creating these spaces. And, you know, I, I love what you said that uh, people keep giving you ideas for uh, webinars because uh, when I started this podcast back in September, um, you know, before I went live with it in November, I was doing some interviews and stuff and people were asking me, they were like, how are you going to, that's a pretty niche topic. How are you going to get, you know, people to want to talk about it and keep it interesting and everything? 
And then I started posting on Facebook and in a few large um, GTA-related Facebook food groups, and I said, I'm looking for people to interview, and I literally like got about 80 private messages from people that wanted to talk. It blew up. It was, wow. it's, I, I have a whole Trello board I had to create to organize the whole thing. And, uh, but it was interesting because I was so excited because people were sending me messages and like, you know, I just said health and performance and how people interpreted that and had ideas to want to talk about within that were endless things that I had never thought of that would be related to this. And it was just so exciting because I was like, okay, there is so much we can do with this and there's so (laughs) many directions that we can go with this. And, uh, we're still working through those, right? Like we're not even, you know, uh, you know, I haven't even like started to break into all those interviews, right? It takes time. And, uh, you know, there's just so many great ideas out there and I'm so excited about that. I, I, I love that. I love your energy. It's inspiring me. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, well, I think this has been great for the, for the, uh, interview portion of this episode. Uh, we've had a really good conversation so far, so I'm going to take a little break. And we're going to come back with some uh, crazy restaurant stories. Sound good? Perfect. Great. Awesome. Hey, listeners, it's Aaron here. And I just want to remind you to go like and subscribe and give me a review and rate the podcast wherever you listen to it, okay? iTunes, Spotify, it doesn't matter. Give it a follow, give it a subscribe. Whatever the platform says that you should do, you should do that because I want to help get this podcast around. I want more people to listen to it. We have 2 million people in the food service industry and we have 22 million people per day that are affected by the food service industry. So I want more people to listen to this podcast. And If you like this episode, go post it on your social media. Just share it to your Instagram, put it on your story, and then tag me. Or wait, I can't even do my own uh, Instagram handle. I'm so bad at this. But here we go. One more time. Balanced underscore life underscore services. Go follow us on Instagram. Tag us. Let us know what's up. And uh, yeah, without further ado, we're going to get back into it with some crazy restaurant stories. And I can tell the story of how I almost lost my eyebrows in a restaurant one time. Let's go check it out. So we are back. And we are going to get into some crazy restaurant stories, which is always the fun portion. And I'll start. Um, and I, I guess I've been cooking a lot at home these days, or more so than I ever have. And, you know, I also heard um, a statistic in Toronto that there's like 20% more um, fire uh, calls and everything in Toronto because everybody's cooking at home now. And people don't know how to. And, you know, now they have to call the fire trucks more often. Uh, but... It kind of reminded me of a time where I almost um, burned off my own eyebrows. Um, (laughs) And uh, I was working in a Greek restaurant, and uh, we had sanganaki, which is a uh, fried cheese, essentially. Um, It gets uh, gets fried, and it gets baked in the oven, and then it's served on a cast iron pan um, that gets very, 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 very hot. Um, so you bring it out, you have like your wood board and then you have the cast iron pan and the, um, and the cheese in there and you serve it with a shot of Sambuca, which is a high proof alcohol. Um, if anyone's had it from Greece, it tastes like licorice. It's absolutely awesome. Um, and you bring a shot of that with it and you pour that on and you light it with your lighter. Nothing too tough. Um, and, uh, it's a really great, like exciting thing to do and people love seeing it. So, um, yeah, so that was essentially what I'd always do. And this one time I brought my lighter and my lighter just wouldn't light right away, which means the gas from the Sambuca diffused into the air a little bit more than it normally would. So when it did light, the explosion was like way bigger <laughs> and, uh, kind of came very near or mostly towards my face. I obviously did not have this beard at the time, or it may have been worse, but um, it looked like people thought I was going to lose my eyebrows, so it was quite a scene. Um, I think they looked a little singed, but I ended up being pretty okay. Fortunately, Sambuca doesn't burn for very long. Um, You know, it's just sort of a quick, you know, light and gone, but 
that was an interesting day at the Greek restaurant that I was at, uh, serving Sanganaki <laughs> that day. Um, and uh, I think for the rest of the day, they were like, we'll serve the Sanganaki to your tables. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so do you have any stories of that same vein or any crazy restaurant stories of your own? Yeah, so um, when I was a young cook, um, I was working at a fine dining restaurant in downtown Toronto, and we had just opened our lunch program. Um, and so the lunch program was was pretty hopping, and it was after a long weekend. Uh, we came back in. We were the first ones there being the lunch cooks. And um, it was uh, we were gearing up for a busy lunch. So uh, I went to – we were turning on all the equipment, and I went to light one of the ovens – and the oven uh, was giving us some trouble. It wasn't lighting and it wasn't lighting. So I was like, okay, I'll come back in 1520. So I came back in 1520 and kept on trying to light it. And um, it shot a small fireball up, you know, probably around waist level, which, you know, freaked me out as, as it would. Um, and I was like, okay, you know what? We just have to let the oven air out a little bit. So we opened up the oven, let it sit for about an hour and a half. And by this point, we're getting, you know, pretty close to needing the oven. So we go to light it again. And uh, after trying for about 10 minutes, it, it was a huge fireball that shot up, probably to about, uh, you know, eye level. And uh, the actual oven door was was shot right off, luckily. It was held on by a hinge. Otherwise, it would have actually hit us in the legs and probably, you know, really done some serious damage at the velocity it was actually shot off. Um, but in my mind, I remember kind of like a diehard moment where I like jumped off like to the side with, you know, grabbing the other cook and yeah, exactly. Just past the line, like slow motion and everything with the fireball behind us, the fireball explosion. I mean, the, the crazy thing about that, too, was that uh, it turned out the oven was just missing a regulator valve, which basically controlled the gas. So, I mean, it, whoever put together the oven, like whichever company sold it or whatever, it was actually missing this crucial piece. Uh, but because we were so busy, I didn't really have a chance to, like, decompress, like sit down and, and chill out. Like, I was, you know, trying my hardest to cook but I was definitely shaking. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy story, but again, it's like hashtag industry life, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy shit, that's terrifying. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> I feel like every chef I know has crazy stories like that in the kitchen. Like, oh yeah, the time that this blew up, the time that that broke down, and anyways, insane. Um... I also have a crazy restaurant story. Um, this, it's funny, you know, Ariel, you say how at the end it's like, okay, service time, like, moving on. Like, I feel like that is hashtag restaurant life um, because it's always like that. It's, yeah. I remember feeling like, I, I mean, I love going to restaurants. I did not love owning a restaurant. Um, it was not my favorite experience. <laughs> Uh, in the industry. I, I love being in the industry. I actually much prefer being an employee um, of a restaurant. And I, I just always remember feeling like I'm juggling 14,000 balls, you know, like just constant, you know, just like the most insane amount of juggling and, uh, and fires being put out and new ones coming up, <laughs> you know, like you put one out and then 10 more come up. Um, so one night, or right morning, sorry, it was like 5.30 or 6 in the morning, um, we got a call from, we used to have the cleaners come in before, you know, they came super duper early. Um, so they had showed up at like 6 in the morning to like a good, I don't know, almost six inches of water in the dining room. So the whole dining room was like a kiddie pool, you know? So when we had to come and clean it, we like they were like bring boots like we had to like actually wear rubber boots to you know and start pulling out all this water and sucking it up managed to get it done before service started that day but this is kind of what i wanted to just make the last comment on is like how do we work in an industry though where these like insane things happen 
And then it's like normal day, welcome, you know, happy Wednesday afternoon. Like here's your dinner, here's your lunch. Oh, there almost was an oven that exploded in someone's face. Like they would have died or like there was a kiddie pool worth of amount of water in this dining room. But you have no idea as you're sitting there like casually eating your lunch and dinner. Oh man, I have so much respect for restaurant owners. Yeah, my, the the thing that always like, over the years working in the industry was the number of times I said to myself, there's no way we can pull this off before service starts. <laughs> and then somehow it happened every time. Like, it you know, you just have these impossible situations of getting whatever you would have to get ready. And it was like, and it was literally like, we, um, and I would in my head be like, this can't happen. Like, there's no way we can get things together before service starts. On top of all the normal things that have, have to happen for service. Exactly. But it happened, always. <laughs> Every day. And this is something I think also we don't talk about a lot in our industry. Is I think of our industry as performance in a way. Yes. You know, I, it's like the show must go on. Um, you know, it is a daily show. It does not stop. It's not like we get to go on tour and we have four crazy months. Like this is day in, day out. And I think oftentimes we, there's a funny side of that, but then there's like actual impact to our mental health about that. Because we literally are not trained to like take a, like take a breath, take a minute to like decompress things. I think in a lot of other work environments, if an oven almost exploded and killed somebody, if there was this much water, you know, oh, take the day off or take the afternoon off. Like sometimes there's just like a different dialogue. But in ours, it's like, nope, customers are getting here in 15 minutes, guys. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, like you're saying, on it. let's go. You know, we're, we're, we're living in uh, fight or flight, right? And I think that's, you know, very damaging on a long-term perspective. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I always think comparable. Um, I have a friend who I used to serve tables with, and now she is in med school becoming a doctor. And um, she is a residency right now. And she always compared that, like, working in the ER is just like working in a restaurant. But I don't think anybody would make that comparison unless you've done both. Um, where she just, you know, she says, oh, it's literally serving tables just with patients. So, you know, you go check on them, you find out what's up, you do some stuff for them, you go to the next one, you do some stuff for them, you go to the next one, then you circle back to the first one uh, to see how they're doing and, like, rotate through the processes. And she's like, I'm so good at it because I served tables for years. Um, and it's the same thing. But that's sort of, you know, there's all these things in place in, like, the, in the hospital, usually, when it comes to shift management and all these sorts of things to allow people to take a breath. Restaurants don't have that luxury, right? So... Um, most of the time, it's just, you know, make it happen <laughs> over and over totally. and over again. Um, and then also, like, service with a smile. Like, I was a server for years, too, and it was like, no matter what was happening, no matter how I felt, service with a smile. And that also, obviously, chips away at you. Um, but I will say I am eternally grateful for the skills I got from this industry because they've helped me tremendously in so many different ways and I almost wish that like everyone could at some point even if it's just a year of their life um do a service job because I think I think it makes you a, a more em empathetic person and I think it gives you a deeper appreciation and respect for people that you know service others on a daily basis but also that um give so much of yourself you know, all the time. Like the emotional labor of being a server is, you know, shout out to all servers. <laughs> and if you're <laughs> listening, you know, like always, always treat your servers and chefs and anyone in restaurants, you know, with the most care possible because all they do all day is take care of us. Yep, exactly, right? Well, I think that's amazing. And I think I want to end on that because I think that's such a beautiful note to end on. So uh, I want to thank both of you again for uh, coming on Health Kitchen. And this has been an awesome episode. And I am, uh, I'm just so excited for people to hear it. So uh, thank you so much. Erin, thank, thank you. You're a great host. I'm so grateful that you had us, you know, come and talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Health Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them, what isn't working for them, and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day. And remember, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, send me an email. I'd love to chat with you. See ya.